you know, we want to welcome everybody here. Everything all at once? Everything all at once. It's honestly a sensation. Aliens listen to it. 51% of the uh, children aged K through 12 in Erie County uh, labeled overweight or uh, determined to be overweight or obese as compared to uh, 39% for Pennsylvania as a whole. So Erie's doing good. Erie is not doing good. <laughs> Damn. I, I got all these statistics backwards, apparently. I thought 50% sounded pretty good. Terrible. Terrible. Half. Okay. You want it lower. Okay. Thank yeah. you for clearing that up for us, Dave. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, this article, the article starts out just going over, like, all these different contributing factors for what makes a child obese or maybe not what makes a child obese but what sets a child up for obesity yeah i have like a screenshot here of kind of an overview of a lot of the big topics that they covered okay you want me to yeah let's go through that pick the first one okay so um overweight and obesity are more common in children who live in poverty obviously um, so we'll have to solve po- poverty. We'll tonight, solve poverty guys. first. That'll be first on our agenda. So we'll fix poverty and, then and give the people healthy food to eat instead of McDonald's and frozen TV dinners. I feel like that's really the main contributing factor when we talk poverty is that like these kids don't have access to like healthy or good food and all they're getting fed is highly processed garbage right that goes into the next one here is under-resourced communities i mean food deserts are a really big issue across the entire united states we have a uh, a pretty prominent food desert here in erie that that stretches from like our downtown area the and and the east side of town yeah. specifically mm-hmm. is a uh, a very uh food desert food deserted location uh families that have immigrated or children who experience discrimination or stigma um they go into a lot of other things but that uh so let's talk about these first ones poverty and lack of access all right we also have like our first ever person like looking at us like live and he mentions that like his kids maybe don't want to eat good food and want the processed meatloafs and stuff from the TV dinners right. and so, macaroni and cheese. So this is jumping ahead a little bit, or maybe not. It's a, it's everything at yeah, once. Yeah, everything at once, baby. So so uh, in this study, they actually um, did a focus on different parenting styles and how it affects, uh, you know, the the chances of uh, uh, childhood obesity. And it found that uh, the only parenting style that really positively affected this issue was an authoritative style where... That was the only positive one? That was the only positive one. So I have to be like, eat your fucking broccoli. No, that's actually not what it is. That's that's authoritarian. I thought that's what you said was authoritarian. No, No, authoritative. Authoritative, okay. So that's like the, the medium ground there. It's where parents respond to the child's cues of hungers and satiety. Um, So basically, like, when your kid says, like, hey, I'm hungry, you listen to them. Instead of versus, like, you will eat when I say you will eat. Um, And you'll eat till I say you're done. Right, and you will clean your plate. That's right. uh, Because that, it 
hurts their ability to self-regulate um okay. their hunger and how much they're eating so then they just see like a plate of food and are automatically like oh i gotta eat all i this. have to eat all this yeah and it's authoritative as compared i can't remember what the more laid back one is um, I have it pulled up here. Passive. Negligent is the most. Yeah, negligent. negligent. Is the bad negligent. One. So I just let my kids eat whenever they want, as much as they want. Or Ice just, cream all the time, mac and cheese. Oh, or just like not paying attention to it at all. Or like a like a passive. Permissive or indulgent is the other one, oh. and then there's authoritative, which is the good one, and authoritarian. So, so permissive and indulgent would just be like, okay, you're hungry, we're gonna eat. But it's whatever you whatever want to you eat. Whatever you want to eat. Yeah, and macaroni however, and cheese, baby. Or, and however much you want. So authoritative is like, you're hungry. Okay, we're going to make sure you eat because, you know, you need to uh, answer your body's calls. But we're going to make sure you have something nutritious and healthy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that we need to take the blame from these first, like, three major contributing factors. I feel like childhood obesity is not the child's fault, but much more the parent's. Usually yeah. the child is the asshole in most of these shows, but I feel like this 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 particular topic. I mean, yeah, as a child, you don't have a lot of say over when and what you eat. I feel like you know you yeah. don't really have any control over that. So you have what's given to you at home and what's given to you at school. We all know school lunches are not Super nutritious. Good. <laughs> Super good. So good. That cardboard pizza, man. That was that oh, kept me man. alive for like ten years of my and life. Like Don't the, you talk about that cardboard pizza? The dog food nachos. Uh, that kept the me alive too. The nacho day, man. Oh, I'm not saying I didn't love it. How long has it been since we've been that age, though? I feel like there's been massive <laughs> leaps time. and bounds in like making sure people I don't, get nutritious food. I feel like I feel like I they feel like get like an orange with lunch, and yeah. now they're like, "That's there you go, you're good." I feel like that's ridiculous. I mean, I feel like if I went into, like, my high school or elementary school or middle school, they would have that same fucking cardboard pizza, Mm -hmm. those same nachos, and all the other same shit that's just, like, ridiculous. But, you know, know, the places that don't seem to have them, from what I've seen, are... uh like private schools or public schools set up in more affluent areas. They, of course. Well, the, they're not poor. Yeah, that's not the po- <laughs> that's the first thing, dude. You don't be po- if you don't want to be ob- have a ch- an obese child, don't be poor. So then we got to so how can we service how can the children be serviced and set up for success? <laughs> you want to service the children <laughs> to, to to make sure that they don't uh have problems with obesity absolutely we're, we're here to take we're care. Here, this is a service to the children this is a service well, this is all for the children exactly here. we do have lots of child listeners so <laughs> they should take <laughs> notes <laughs> yes children and adults that have children out there that are listening to this make sure that you pay attention we're gonna come to a solution here by the end of the show i promise and so we got the the uh socioeconomic factors as far as like money and mm-hmm. affluence go we have li- like resources that are available because a lot of places don't have like a grocery store or any sort of fresh produce for miles around and they may not have a car or they may not have the ability to transport themselves to these places plus i feel like that's such a huge waste of time dude riding a bus to like a grocery store and then carrying all my groceries back would i would not i would say fuck that dude i was gonna say like maybe laziness has a part in this too but i feel like in order to be skinny you really have to like not be lazy but i wouldn't i wouldn't be riding a bus and carrying grocery bags i think back and forth to my house i think if i remember if i didn't have to i think i remember correctly in this scholarly article there 
wasn't really an, a connection between like a, a sedentary yeah there was they, definitely they talked about lifestyles. like a sedentary lifestyle contributing but i don't i don't believe that a sedentary lifestyle can be a huge contributing factor i've been extremely sedentary my most of my life and i am not obese and i've never struggled with obesity so i wouldn't say that just because you're sedentary you're automatically going to be obese or just because you're lazy yeah because i would describe myself as a pretty lazy person i love to lay around so i all these other contributing factors kind of have to come together there's also like an anti-lazy like i'm sure there are people that are like working really hard and are super uh, are <laughs> maybe not super obese but obese because they don't have time to make or prepare or go to the store or eat any of these right. healthy foods and they're just like hitting mcdonald's you know what they i mean don't. and i don't think it's necessarily people being lazy i think it's uh people being worn down by having to do so yeah. much just to survive definitely we're in like a uh, almost post-capitalistic, very corporatist mm-hmm. nation. Late-stage capitalism, baby. Late-stage capitalism. That's I'm, right. I'm well, and Wallerstein. And I think another thing that they brought up was that a lot of children live in areas where it's not necessarily safe for them to be, like, going outside and be active or, like, those activities just are not available, available yeah, to them. Sure. I mean, I had lots of opportunities for after school, like sports and stuff like that. And there's definitely certain areas that just do not have that. They don't. And you can't just like run around in the street like I did in my neighborhood when it's not a good street to be for children to be running around right. and playing football or baseball or whatever it is they're doing, you know? Uh, there, was a, there was a positive correlation in that study between like uh, uh, natural things like trees being planted and green spaces and and the the healthy uh, like exercising also a negative correlation between homicide rates and obesity because you don't you don't you don't want to go outside and exercise (laughs) if there's a chance that you're gonna get murdered Murdered. so yeah the the higher the homicide race the higher the obesity they they did from that study, they okay. did find a link between that, those and two. And that, that is correlation, not causation, just so we're clear. That is correct. That's and correlation does yes. not equal causation, just so, just for all of our listeners out there that uh, may not be scientists like you, Dave, scholars, <laughs> and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, um, ma- mainly, mainly scholar, though. Mainly scholar? Yeah, not scientist or gentleman. A uh, little gentleman. Probably scientist at the bottom. At the bottom. List. Okay, yeah. well, anyway, we, we are scientists for the purpose of this. We've been studying and practicing this article. It also, yeah, it did talk about, like, sedentary lifestyles and video games and stuff and how that is definitely part of it and the lack of, like, education. I think that was also a thing they brought up, too, that most mm-hmm. of, a lot of these kids just are not, like, as far as learning goes and the education system goes nutrition and food health and dieting is really just like not on the priority list as especially in like certain areas where the main focus is just like trying to get these kids to graduate with a uh general education degree you know what i mean or like have like a certain be able to pass like the pssas or whatever it is they need them to pass wherever they are Well, and they also talked about how the education level of your parent is a big contributing factor to childhood obesity as well. So, I mean, if you're living in a poor area and your parents went to the same 
shitty school that you're now going to, like, your chances of struggling with childhood obesity are even, even higher. Very generational, for sure. I think that uh, you, you have to nip it systemically, which yeah, is extremely da- uh, not dangerous, extremely difficult. Yeah. Because there's so many factors that contribute into into childhood obesity. And that's, you know, at least from a, a socioeconomic standpoint, that's why race is such a huge issue in it, because there's so much um, to, to just uh, generational, like, systemic damage. Right. Systemic damage. And trauma, They yeah. do talk a lot about, like, race and racism affecting um, obesity in children, which... It makes sense. I just have never connected those particular dots before. I thought that was like a super um, interesting and informative point. And it just, it made me think about, because I, you know, politics and stuff has always been something I haven't been interested in. And I hear all the time from people like, well, it doesn't affect me. That's why I don't care about it. But, I mean, it affects it affects every part of your life Mm -hmm. and like the political situation in your city state neighborhood can affect things like the the weight of your child and (laughs) and the health of your child and you know that's why it's good to be informed about those things that are going on you can make a difference in things you wouldn't even think about they make a big connection to uh between the mental health of like the children and their obesity levels too like uh oh, uh, they yeah. they talk a lot about like comfort eating and like eating to relieve stress and get through traumatic events you know a lot of people might or like children might seek like the comfort that they're not finding at home or at school or at wherever situation they're in in like a, you know that double cheeseburger from McDonald's or a piece of cake or cosmic brownies or whatever you know and that's a self-perpetuating cycle because I mean, if you're dealing with difficulties at home that range from, you know, not being able to get enough food to, like, you know, you know, some kind of negligence or whatever. You go to school, kids, I don't know, maybe kids have changed. They haven't, you know, no. I don't think. I think but kids are so horrible. Kids are still horrible. <laughs> right. I mean, and by, hor- by horrible, I mean, uh, it's almost like a natural thing for them to just pick out differences mm-hmm. and attack them. So, right. So if you're obese then you're probably going to get called a slew of different uh, fat-shaming type uh, derogatory words. Absolutely. And, and, you know, then it makes you just, like, you know, eat more if that's your way to cope. Right. Then it's just It's like a fat bastard situation. I eat because I'm unhappy. Oh, yeah. I'm unhappy because I eat. Awesome powers. That's right. Well, he, he knew it. He knew they knew that was how it worked even back then, and I guess it's I don't know how long it's been since they last published a health guidelines for treating childhood obesity, but I feel like Austin Powers knew this cycle long before. I want to say that it was either these in, doctors. It was either in the intro to this article, or like a, a secondary source that said it was either like tw- I think it was twenty or twenty five years since they released an official. Yeah, I can't remember. It was one of the. Two. A lot of this stuff really, as far as like the treatment goes, it reminds me a lot of how we treat substance abuse or how we. I was going to say the same thing, and I feel like a lot of the contributing factors to childhood obesity just reminded me a lot of like contributing factors to addiction, especially if you're starting out your addiction like kind of in your younger years. For sure. And how they described it as a chronic disease, which is exactly how addiction is. Uh, described as well as a chronic disease 
Um, and I feel like this is just a different way for people to deal with these things. Instead of drugs, they just they turn to food. Right, and, and food's a lot more available to a five-year-old than right. most drugs. Right, although you think there, you know, some kind of connections between, uh, you know, drugs and food, too. I mean, especially, I don't want to say especially, I don't have the facts, but I think with, like, like women in cocaine, I've met multiple women who would, like, do coke and stuff like that to try to keep themselves skinny. Same with, like, Adderall, sure. yeah. You know, or Adderall or, you know. Not so much meth, but I guess that's a. Another that's the thing. I mean, now, you will get skinny love, if you do meth. People so. love meth these days. They're about it. They are about it. Um, but that's one of the things that uh, they actually talk about later on, as far as the treatment goes. I, I want to get to that a little bit later. The treating this with the drugs, but first I want to talk about some of the earlier stages, because like, like I said earlier, all of these news articles on like CBS and whatever you know whatever news station you want to look at newsweek guardian huff post whoever it is they're all saying like this really ridiculous shit about how um they're saying we should give kids bariatric surgery and meds like off rip when really this that's like the last case worst case situation according to these guidelines that the aap released and uh early intervention strategies really just involve like uh education and uh interventions with the family meeting with a nutritionist or health coach getting involved in athletics and stuff like that and trying to make lifestyle changes that's a lot of um things to get involved in if if you're uh low income and you're probably working multiple jobs and don't have the time to run your kids around to that kind of stuff and the big thing they talked about was like the main folk or the uh the main point person being a, a good educated PCP mm-hmm. uh, and having that I thought it was so interesting you know how much they delved into uh, how these uh, physicians should use their words yeah talk know, to these kids yeah. instead, like instead of saying your child or uh, this obese child is saying like a child with obesity with obesity yeah yeah because it is, the, the, and that's a, that's another, th- like, it should always be f- person-first treatment, person-focused treatment, not the disease. They are not the disease. They are a person with a disease, you know what I mean? That's And that's one of the things they've always taught us as far as, like, being able to build a connection with your client and building a therapeutic alliance with your client um, is, to, is that they are a person first and you are treating a disease. They are not a disease. And... Uh, But I feel like there's a kind of a gulf between uh, uh, physicians like doctors who focus on the body and doctors who focus on the mind, like like, uh, psychologists and counselors and psychiatrists, you know, they're going to think about that stuff, whereas I feel like maybe a physician isn't as in tune with, you know, that kind of thing. They're there to make, like, their physical diagnosis, and they're not as uh, concerned with words. I I think a lot of newer training as far as, like, interacting with clients and stuff like that spans across the board from PCP to counselor to therapist to nutritionist to health coach. All that stuff is kind of important, and especially it talks a lot about motivational interviewing early on like using motivational interviewing strategies to build motivation with the client to get them to want to change for themselves or to help them foster that change and a lot of that is all focused on this like person first treatment and uh using different questioning strategies and talking strategies that i like use a lot of times in interviews here and uh 
elsewhere you know it's really interesting stuff and meant to foster uh continued openness with your client and more um you know helping them move in a certain direction it's just like social engineering yeah um but like i don't even think like going to the doctor or anything is or doing all these things are like they're the next step but i feel like they're secondary because uh Obesity has been continuously raising over the last 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's other things going on before, uh, you know, dealing with, like, the, the, the health coach type shit. Like, there's something going on on a... Uh, like a psychological level or no, a family on, level? On a societal I mean, I feel, level. Uh, I feel like society, like the poverty and a lot of these things that people are facing have gotten worse over the last Mm -hmm. 20 years i mean and if they spent a big part of this article talking about those things it's obviously a pretty big contributing factor considering how much time they spent going over these like socioeconomic issues that contribute to obesity and i would say anybody who's not in the top five percent of the country would agree that things haven't really gotten better over the last 20 years you know they've only gotten harder people are still living paycheck to paycheck if that and to try and take care of a child on top of that i mean i'm sure a lot of these people are trying to do their best but Mm -hmm. i think it really starts like with an integrated education system too you know I'll, i'll it's really it would be really difficult to go through some of these different things that they're outlining these different strategies that they're talking about implementing outside of like an already included education system even for like anybody who does have transportation or does have a job or does have anything going on you know just making sure that my child makes it to these appointments whether that's pulling them out of school to take them there or going after school before school to these different uh types of meetings that they're outlining whether it's like at doing something athletic or meeting with a nutritionist or a health coach or a counselor or your pcp or whatever it is it seems like they really want this to be like a uh like a weekly thing you know what i mean like multiple appointments each week until the goal is right. completed and maybe this could i could see this lasting like upwards of three months you know i mean longer. a lot of the treatments they say last a lot longer than that i mean they want to do a very like long to be successful in overcoming and like maintaining the weight loss for childhood obesity i mean it's a long-term program um i have the number in here somewhere but it's like to maintain the weight loss throughout their life like into adulthood is upwards of like I think they said like a million dollars in medical like appointments and treatments and like all the things that they would need to do in order to really like maintain that throughout their life. I feel like that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. I personally have got to believe that with the right education and the right knowledge base at an early age that they will be reach a point of self-sustaining. They they uh Here, it's uh, so a modeling study has estimated that the total lifetime medical cost for 10-year-olds with lifelong obesity to be in the range of 9.4 to 14 billion. 
that that's also considering saying like lifelong obesity though that's saying that these treatments are not working yeah i'm saying that when they do work i mean within 90 days to a year i would say they are probably have the ability to self-sustain i would hope they uh i read the npl npr article on this which they're usually a little more reliable than most sources and uh they had the median at for this at 26 hours over three to 12 months so that's i mean 26 hours over three to 12 months that's probably like a meeting or two a week yeah like a half hour meeting or yeah half hour meeting twice a week for that period of time which uh given it that it would it turns out it was it would be successful if it is successful would dramatically it would be so much cheaper for these insurance companies and stuff to do that preemptively than to be treating a child with lifelong obesity throughout it but also i feel like the success rate is going to be very interesting i would like i don't think that was really talked about in there i don't know that these programs really exist that they're talking about in there I've never heard of any personally, but I would be interested to see what kind of success rates they're dealing with in treating this childhood obesity at an early age through these early intervention steps that they're kind of outlining throughout this article. Well, and then the question is, do they, are they covered by insurances? Right. That's, I feel like, such a huge obstacle for, because if a big contributing factor to your particular childhood obesity is your socioeconomic issues... What kind of insurance, if you have any insurance, do you have that's even going to cover something like this for you? I feel like that is is such a big obstacle right. that can't be ignored. And I can't beat poverty through like through nutrition coaching and uh, athletic. Well, maybe <laughs> through athletic skills and athletic maybe. prowess, I could beat poverty. But it's kind of a difficult situation and more of a long term thing because, like, if. If it, if it really comes down to, like, my only option to eat is, like, McDonald's or frozen foods, there undoubtedly is some stuff that I can do, but is it is it really a realistic obstacle? You know what I mean? You know can what, I beat McDonald's through physical training? You know what I thought was interesting, though? It said that if you lived in a food desert, obviously obesity goes up. If you have a supermarket within a 1.6-mile radius... The obesity goes down, but then it said if there was multiple supermarkets in that 1.6 mile radius, it goes back up again. That's really? interesting. Yeah, that was in the uh, the scholarly article. Yeah. Uh, so, the more options you have to potentially eat shitty, is also something that can be factored into it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it's 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 really like a multifaceted idea, and I think that the designation of having multiple supermarkets in a given area probably there are i feel like there are probably some other factors at play that go along with having multiple supermarkets in this within the same area having the money to spend what you want exactly like when i think of areas that have multiple supermarkets around them like out here or other areas with a few different choices i think of higher socioeconomic status and maybe the ability to buy more food whether it's healthier or not is is completely up to question and whether or not i need it out of convenience or if i need it out of what you know whatever the situation survival like there's a lot of different factors for sure i think i thought of something okay tell us about it tell us what you thought of dave so you know there there's uh community centers that that take care of um 
children offer them healthy options you have daycares that often are covered by different like WIC and stuff like that I think an interesting option that could be implemented from like a welfare services type program are like um, in home fat camps nannies not fat camps no not fat camps because <laughs> no <laughs> not fat camps not dude fat camps. that's the exact there was like office. a fat camp on Disney Channel it looked pretty cool like a long time ago there was a movie about all these kids that went to fat camp it seemed all right man but that's know. that's part of shouldn't the shouldn't dismiss it so quickly that, that's part of the problem here though. It's yeah. like the fascination with people being... <sighs> There's a difference between having a healthy body and an unrealistically good-looking body. Yeah. And that is what kind of uh, uh, media hangs its hat on, like, so many kids. And now social media now. you got, like, Instagram models, TikTok, okay, all yeah. of this stuff. And, like, people just are children, you know. Like, there's only one way to look. As I feel like the projection when, like, what a healthy body looks like on every person is different. It's not, like, stick thin for every single person is going to be healthy. Or, like, as a a guy having, like, you know, a a six-pack and, you know, um, just being totally fucking shredded. Which, you know, admittedly looks pretty fucking cool. Uh, Thanks, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but that's part of it. Like, you know, like these weight loss programs, uh, like TV programs, I mean, like mm-hmm. uh, Biggest Loser and sure. shit like that. Like, it's almost like that militant, you know, like riding these people. And these are older people, you know. We don't have, you know, as far as I know, reality TV shows where they're lambasting children. That's like a sacred No, it's era. coming, no. though. It's, it's coming. coming. I'm yeah. sure. We're working towards it. They already got that, like, Master Chef for Children. We'll have the biggest loser for children. This and, is America, so. And but maybe that I feel like that's also kind of inspirational for some of the some people though. They see the biggest loser on TV, and maybe these kids will be like, you know what, I'm a little bit thicker than I want to be, and look, these other kids are doing it. Maybe I can do it too. Maybe I have never watched The Biggest Loser, so I don't know how they like present those people or mm-hmm. like talk to them. I feel like a they did talk about in this article. Um, like not shaming a child for being obese, not making them feel shameful for their weight because that is not going to help them. It's probably only going to make it worse. Even if they did decide to like try and lose weight, they would go about it in an unhealthy way, like go in the complete opposite direction of like an eating disorder because of how like ashamed they feel about their body which right. is not the way to approach Does it, it talk away what what kind of approach did it suggest did it suggest one um it was down towards the end like when it was talking about it, it was in the area where it's talking about how a doctor should approach like talking to the patient to the child um and it's just like in the words that they use and how they approach the treatment um and not not putting them down mm-hmm. about it like it um i think it was right before like the motivational interview part you know making them feel good for making good choices not making them feel bad for like the the things that have happened to them in their right. life to cause them to end up in the situation but at some point you really have to approach a difficult situation that's going to be up to the child to interpret well that's why 
we're at the point where they're recommending bariatric surgery and medication because the big thing that they one of the big points they hinged on is um that you if a, if a child fails to lose the weight you don't want to call them failures right you know right. like because of, of the mental ramifications of that that can spread on through the rest of their life and uh so that's why it gets to the point of, of them recommending these things, like if the kid... The bariatric surgeries and, and the drugs. And the drugs, because, like, if this child has tried everything and they still haven't been able to lose the weight, uh, obviously, if it's, like, a genetic thing or they have a disease, you know, there's nothing they can, like, will themselves to do. Right. But if it's, like, a socioeconomic or a mental thing and they still can't do it, they don't want to be like, all right, well, you fucking failed. Yeah, you uh, suck. Right, now you're just fat, and you suck for the rest of your life. Exactly, and, you know, maybe one day you'll figure it out, but if you don't, you, you're you, going to die you're soon. A, you're so. a, yeah, you're a failure, yeah, and yeah. you're going to have a bunch of problems. It's going to cost us all tons of money. Exactly. And uh, so, like, that's where they get to the point where they at. Like, like, I don't, you're right, the articles kind of, you know, hinge their headlines on that but it's really like a last resort it really is according yeah. to the guidelines and the 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 part about the like the mainstream news articles about this article from the aap is that they all had like these really inflammatory dramatic headlines like the a the doctors want to give your kids bariatric surgery and drugs to fight obesity and then it's really funny because or well maybe not funny but it's fucked up that the article basically goes through the AP, the AAP article, um, for the most part, like relatively accurately. You know, like once I read the articles, I'm like, oh, okay, it's not as dramatic or dramatized or as awful as the headline would lead me to believe after actually reading the AAP um, health guideline. Right. Hold article. Up. Real quick. Enjoy the hockey. That where we uh, enjoyed having you. <laughs> Peace. Love yeah. you, Todd. Number one fan right there, guys. Number one fan. He's the best. He even team and saw us on Twitch. We're live streaming this one today. I don't know if there's any... I don't think I can tell if there's anybody else watching us on the stream, but we love you guys. I didn't want to throw you off there, but we no, have to shout good. out our, our Twitch listener, Todd. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so now that he's... So, done. yeah, but they did... I mean, the, the medication and the bariatric surgery is like... It, very last resort like there are so many steps that need to be taken before the medical professional even considers that mm -hmm. and then even like with the bariatric surgery in particular they the doctor can make a referral but if they they still have to go to the surgery center and like have meetings with the surgeons with the family with the child and then they still might not get the surgery like the surgeon could come back and say no i don't think that this is the right next step like, and i think the big one of the big things about that change is that prior to this i feel like you were not really allowed to give a child bariatric surgery or weight loss drugs or it was uh, a much more taboo talking like now it's like openly okay maybe not openly okay but it is considered a viable Right. I mean, it's obviously treatment. been being done because that's why they changed the guidelines because they feel like there's enough evidence with past cases to say, yeah, this is like a medically viable next step to be taken. Mm -hmm. They did, like, we we're talking about the bariatric surgery um, in particular about, you know, case studies since the early 2000s of children between like 12 and 18 or whatever getting bariatric surgery and like the results from that. 
So, I mean, it's not like it's never been done. It has been being done, and clearly they've been seeing positive results from it. Yeah, and I think what it comes down to is uh, these doctors are trying to solve the same problem that we are on the podcast tonight. And they're not sociologists, and they're not politicians. So overhauling a a complete societal structure to try to make obesity less of a problem is not their wheelhouse. So they're just trying to do the best they possibly (laughs) can with the the sources they got, with the resources they have. And I mean, it might seem like a little shocking, like, wow, a 12 year old that uh, needs to have bariatric surgery or be put on weight loss medication. Like, oh, that's a failure of this country. And that comes back to like, uh, you know, stigmas against poor people and stigmas against fat people. And, uh, you brown know, people just yeah but stigma right. is against everybody stigma, anybody yeah. that's going through a difficult time in their life where they may not have all the resources that uh other people may have available to them like i literally i can't remember who the person was but i literally saw someone like that was their story was this article and it was just like we've failed like their tagline on it you know was we failed as a country because they're giving kids like these surgeries and medications and so obviously there's so many of us that see that it's a problem that obesity is such a huge issue in America that we have to, to you know, resort to this more and more. Or it's like uh, if we had like a 2%, let's say that's extremely low. I don't know if that's like that anywhere in the world. But let's say if like obesity affected like 2% of kids, they would probably still come out with this to try to help them. Um, it might not be the most pressing issue because not a lot of kids would deal with it, but it also wouldn't be front page news. Right. right. You know, it's the fact that we've gone from, I think it was like 90% here in Pennsylvania or Erie County, Erie, Erie County, County. 39 that, in Pennsylvania. And that was overweight to obese, um, which overweight is, you know, an issue in the country too. But, um, from like 1999, I think it said it went from like 13 or 14 percent to 20 percent. So like that, a six percent hike increasing. is a, it's an alarming amount that it's increasing. And they too. did touch on how um, the pandemic has also seemingly increased those numbers as well because that has um, vastly disrupted like the routines of kids. Like a lot of kids aren't even going to physical school every day of the week now. Like they are sitting at home on their computers right doing their classes which i'm sure is going to contribute even more to childhood obesity if they're not even getting up to go to school anymore i mean how do you do a gym class on cyber school right and how do you get involved in athletics you know sports football Mm -hmm. baseball basketball whatever and i mean you can still do that in cyber school but i feel like i would personally have been a lot more uh resistant to those types of ideas well, I even feel like the mental health aspect of that is also a big contributing factor. Right. Like as a child, if especially if you're used to going to school and like that's been your experience so far in life and then all of a sudden you're not you don't have that anymore and like you just have to sit in your house and, and look at this computer screen and like this is school now. Like you thought school sucked before. Now it yeah. really sucks cuz you don't even get to see your friends. I think I'm gonna. You're gonna enjoy this because you like when when I say you might be right. Uh, mm. So we're circ- I'm, I'm gonna circle back around to this because I I really wonder how many sports teams or uh, or uh, gym classes that that obese kids really enjoy being a part of because that's you know part of the. Uh, the shame factor, especially if you're with like healthy kids. Oh my god, those poor kids, dude. But yeah. that's what. But so even the, in my high school experience, like the the larger children, just were 
cannon fodder. Well, and well, not only that. Like when I think about it, back when I was a kid, it seemed like the bigger a person was, the less they wanted to be involved in those physical activities yeah. because course. it's like a point of going back shame. So like the you're right thing comes back to i don't necessarily think like fat camp especially not calling it fat camp because that just defeats no you don't call it that probably not but like something like um you remember i don't know if they're still around but you remember like curves yeah the gym for like you know for women yeah yeah i don't know what the correct terminology is just women women gym yeah women gym but i swear like i remember seeing like you know, like classes for like over. It might or like have plus been, size yeah. Like some say. of the marketing was uh, towards like more overweight women. So, like, what w- maybe something that would be good would be like um, gym classes offered. Obviously, not during school time, but like extracurricular activities where you get everybody together who's kind of in the same boat, so you don't have yeah you know that like uh shame yeah factor. i that sounds i thought about that too when we were talking earlier but i really feel like that is almost segregation in certain ways of putting all of the obese children together to do athletics or do certain gym classes or whatever um is almost like uh you know putting the kids on the short bus or whatever you know like some sort of way of just like it's like singling them out more yeah you know it separates them from the rest of the class rather than brings them together but i mean i think it's like single- how else are you going to treat it though at the same time you I, know? I think it singles them out more when you have kids all go run laps and all the hell no i don't yeah. want to say all the like uh, healthy weight kids are just running circles around this person yeah. yeah you know i mean because they send them to a doctor and uh you know the doctor it, it, it's a health thing so he's doing his job but like you send him to like coaches and trainers or whatever like health classes or whatever so why is it okay to do it on an individual level but not put it in a group i think it'd be a great way for people um that go through a common experience uh, we've had experience with something like this where you you put people together that are going through a common thing and that can almost like and build the community and build like their their sense i feel like maybe during school hours might not necessarily be the best place to do that but definitely like facilitating something like that uh i feel like it would be helpful it would all it would really have to i feel like it would have to be done right and uh it would have to be almost like a secret, you know what I mean? If it was done during school, like you told, you you don't go around telling the people that you're in, uh, yeah. you know, the special gym no. class for the other for it the w- obese children or the special athletics class for the obese people, and that's fine. You can keep that confidential, and hopefully they would foster that sense of community, and it wouldn't have to be like a like an open secret because it, it could also be like used. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you go to the the fat gym class or the the obese gym class or whatever i don't think you would do it i would not advocate for doing it during school hours no i don't think that would be the way to go about it at the same time when they're going to all these classes if they're going to them together they're obviously going to meet other kids that are struggling with the same types of issues with obesity and their weight and uh, their physical health I mean, and there's obviously, as the statistics show, more and more, it's becoming more prevalent, so there's more people that are going through that. And it could be, like, a voluntary thing, too. You know what I mean? Maybe you have right. a, a certain, like, you don't say only obese kids could go, but this is a 
um, like a lower speed gym class or whatever, however you sure. want to phrase it, you know what I mean? That way it's a little bit more of an introductory level, a little bit lighter of the workload or whatever. Like or, a duck pond in yeah, class. Yeah, you know, something that's a little bit more gentle and kind and allows for not just the obese kids but the other because i mean lots of people struggle with physical health and dexterity you know i'm sure like some of the nerdy the nerd would have done that my fellow nerds out there that weren't incredibly athletic might also feel better going to a gym class and playing dodgeball or playing other fun activities um and sports with other people that are not like top tier athletes that just school everybody yeah yeah we don't we don't want a bunch of dave skrupskis playing basketball against us right that are dunking on us all day right. i would have been in that gym class for sure and this is this is here's a, a spitballing idea here so it's an after school thing but you know how we make it so there's no hurt feelings doctor referral you have to have your doctor referral. Almost like going to a physical therapist. You can't just go into a physical therapist right. and just be like, I want to be, I want to join these guys in right. exercise. And they be right. like, no, you can't do that. Physical therapy, please. And that kind of starts the, the dialogue, too, from a doctor, you know what I mean? And gives them an opportunity to kind of educate and um, send that referral. You know what I mean? Talk about the referral process and why this would be a good idea and what right. he's concerned about and all of those things. Foster a, really a solution, idea. hopefully. And if you have people doing healthy, positive things together and building community, and a lot of them share, like, other issues too, like socio-nom- socioeconomic risk factors. Right, depression, PTSD, depression, whatever Depression, PTSD. Anxiety. I mean, like, the mental s- stuff, too, you know, we, you know, cultivating a, a healthy society there. But as far as, like, the socioeconomic stuff, if you have these people getting together, doing healthy things, growing and learning them, that can be helpful to future generations to try to um, break the links, the chains of poverty. Right. That, I think that might be like the solution. I think we might have solved it. We solved it, guys. Congratulations. We did it. We did it. The, the solution is building community amongst people that are struggling with physical health issues, inclu- like including obesity, and allowing them a, a base to nurture and encourage each other as well as receive physical help from nutritionists, life coaches, doctors in a safe, healthy, productive way. Uh, so, uh, and I think a great way to give back would be if you were one of those kids who dealt with childhood obesity and you found a way to overcome it as an adult to go out and volunteer and help these kids out because your story could be uh, right. an effective tool to and give them hope. And there already are programs like this too. That's a, maybe we didn't quite solve it. Maybe we need to revisit this because there are programs that are like this mm-hmm. that are designed for uh, people that struggle with socioeconomic factors and getting the right nutrition and their health and all of these th- factors that kind of go into this. And maybe they are not being properly utilized or there are not enough of them, or maybe they aren't getting the funding and the support that they need from the people that could uh, really make it flourish or make right, it grow. I'm sure. Grants are very competitive, and uh, the ones that aren't, pri- like the governmental ones too, but a lot of the private grants are very, very specific and very tailored towards um, areas of the of the world and counties and different, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, different uh, causes 
that the people giving out the money hold near and dear to their heart. Mm. So it is a from personal experience, I know that that landing that money to make this shit work is an extremely arduous and uh, right. painstaking task. And you need right? to have the people that are willing to do that, like in the program, willing to do whatever those factors are to get that grant. So, I mean, and I feel like with programs like these, a lot of these people are probably just like volunteers. You know, sure. they have yeah. jobs and lives. So, like, the task of trying to get a grant for their program is probably too much. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. and But hopefully... With uh, this new guidelines being set out and put in place, there are a lot more people that are looking at this and talking about this. And hopefully the people that are interested in this kind of things are not the kind of people that are reading the the news or the dramatized headlines in the news and are actually reading these kinds of papers and are able to you know make a difference and maybe make more grants available and kind of really look at tackling this project because i feel like it's it's been people have been aware of it but i feel like it's also been swept under the rug a lot you know it's not something that's um getting a lot of attention as far as what people are going to do about it or how they're going to change it you're not really reading like about success stories of people that have overcome obesity um like you are maybe drug abuse um but hopefully people are able to see this and are able to look in the future uh, and talk to the government, people in the government and read. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, I think the that ones that I are listening to us right now. What I hope is that studies or scholarly articles like this bring more attention to the fact that obesity is not a personal failing. Because I, I think that that is where a lot of the, like, stigma and shame comes from is that, like, there's, I am failing and I am doing something wrong because I'm obese when that's not necessarily the case. At and, the end of the day, we just need to educate ourselves yeah. and not read the stuff that's in the news, go to the source, read an actual scholarly article do it it's horrible but you'll thank yourself for it after you're done it's not that it's bad. not horrible it's not that bad maybe i'm biased because i've had to read so many of I, I just read so many of these never forget that education is one of the most powerful weapons that you can give yourself against, Don't listen any to enemy. against any enemy so it's not horrible it's not it's it's we yeah. should you should post the link to this scholarly uh, article i did in the uh like description i i will i will post it in the description on youtube Go ahead and read it. Check it out. It's important stuff for real people. And read more scholarly articles like this. Don't just read the news headlines. Please don't read the news headlines. Mm-hmm. Read the scholarly articles that the news headlines are reacting to like we just did. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We love you all. Have a great day. Bye. Keep fighting the good fight.